Right, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to River Glen. Great to uh, have you here in Waukesha, Pewaukee, and online. Thank you so much for joining us for church. Before I get started, I want to let you know next weekend we begin a brand new series, Slay the Monster. We're going to slay the monster of financial stress and uh, worry. And we're going to have fun uh, with this. Uh, we're going to have uh, monster, free monster treats uh, every weekend in the uh, lobby, so bring your sweet tooth. We took all the calories out so that you can indulge and enjoy those. And as you heard, we're going to have a movie night coming up here in Waukesha on March 12th, uh, Monsters, Inc. Uh, we're also going to have uh, characters from Monster, Inc. at both campuses uh, next uh, weekend. We're also giving you a monster deal on uh, Financial Peace University, and uh, we'll tell you more about that. It all starts next uh, weekend. Uh, don't miss it. And then looking ahead uh, to Sunday, March 13th, we have our next uh, welcome brunch, 1030 to 1130 at both campuses. If you're uh, newer uh, to River Glen, or really if you've attended for any length of time, and you just want to know more about our vision, our beliefs, Get your questions answered. This event is for you. We give you a, a free brunch, a free T-shirt, and we would love to meet you. We'd love to have you join us. You can uh, scan that code in front of you and sign up or stop at the uh, uh, Welcome Center in the lobby after the uh, service. All right, today we're wrapping up uh, Rally Cry. We're talking about areas in our life that have been hit uh, the last couple of years because of the covid and the uh, pandemic. We started out a couple weeks ago uh, talking about rallying around each other because God made us for uh, connection. Last weekend we talked about rallying around marriage and how you can enjoy marriage for a lifetime. And now today we're going to rally around families. And in particular, I want to talk uh, about our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and our nephews and just all the kids and students in our lives. And I know it might be tempting for some of us who uh, don't have uh, kids or uh, grandkids to hear that we're talking about families and parenting and kids and kind of uh, tune out um, on this message. And I can understand that. You know, maybe you don't have kids or plan to have kids. Maybe some of you here today really want kids, but for some reason have not uh, been able to. And I know that can be really painful. And I want you to know that I have prayed uh, specifically for you as I prepared this message. Maybe some of you are empty uh, nesters and you're like, Ben, that's great, but this is uh, 18 years too late. Uh, but I want to encourage everybody, no matter your circumstances, to hang with me today because uh, we're going to open up God's word. And I hope that you'll open up your heart and your mind. And I think you're going to see this really applies to all of us. Marnie and I have uh, three kids that we love and enjoy. They're in their uh, 20s now, and we've also got a, a two-year-old uh, granddaughter that we love even more than our three kids. <laughs> She's great. Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll, but I'll be honest, I'm, I'm no expert on parenting. I don't always feel like I'm a good parent. I've made many mistakes. I'm going to talk about uh, some of those, I thought about skipping this subject or handing it off to somebody else. But I feel strongly that all of us need to rally around families and kids, not just as parents and grandparents, but as aunts and uncles and teachers and coaches and volunteers and RG Kids 
and student ministry. Here's our rally cry for today. There it is. God believes in the next generation. God sees the next generation as difference makers and world changers. What do you believe about the next uh, generation? Here, here's how many people view uh, kids and students. Kind of like that right there. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you grew up with one of these in your house or maybe your grandparents had one in uh, their house. That's called a china cabinet, right? And the purpose of a china cabinet is you put things in there that are fragile, uh, irreplaceable, valuable, and they're behind closed doors so that uh, nothing can happen to them. And I think, I think sometimes we view kids this way because kids are valuable, certainly irreplaceable, fragile, and so we want to protect kids. We don't want anything bad uh, to happen to kids, but it's a very defensive posture towards kids and students. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I mean, one of the really important parts of, you know, raising kids and loving kids and taking care of kids is to protect them and to be wise about what we uh, expose them to. But I want to show you a much different vision, a much different perspective on kids and students. Take a look at what David wrote in Psalm 127. He says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Notice how he says, he says that a, a, every child's a gift. And kids are a lot of work. But every single child is a reward, a, a gift. And uh, notice, they're not like fine china that you uh, protect and defend. It's more of an offensive vision for students and kids. David says they're like arrows, which is a greater vision and a higher calling uh, for kids. I mean, you know, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with arrows. Nobody puts arrows in a china cabinet, right? Uh, arrows don't need protection. Uh, people need protection from arrows. And so scripture tells us that the goal of shaping the next generation, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, the young people, that you can influence. The goal is to invest in them, not just to keep bad things from happening to them, not just a defensive posture, but an offensive kind of posture that says, our job is to raise you and prepare you and send you out. Our job is to aim you and send you out to pierce the darkness in this world. And to make a difference. And so let me ask you, what, you know, what, what, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of legacy do you want to leave on your kids, your grandkids, your, your nieces, your nephews, your, your, your students, and just all the, the, the next generation? Maybe you're building a, a business that you want to uh, pass along. Maybe you're building a legacy of accomplishment. Maybe you're building wealth. Nothing wrong with those things. Those are good things. But David challenges us to ask ourselves, what is our greatest legacy? Because, I mean, you know, 100 years from now, uh, nobody's going to remember my name. Nobody's going to remember uh, that I was a pastor. But hopefully... A hundred years from now, my family line that I influenced will make an impact for Jesus. Think about it this way. Your greatest accomplishment for the kingdom of God, it might not be something that you do, but someone that you raise or influence.
Now, you know, for some of us, uh, that probably hits a little bit emotionally. Uh, Maybe you feel a little bit of guilt, uh, maybe a little bit of shame because you're not really sure if you're you're, you're doing that. I find in conversations that many uh, parents... Uh, feel like they're falling short, uh, feel like they have uh, failed. And it's because of a myth uh, about parenting that I want to talk about for a moment. Here's here's the myth. It it goes like this. Godly parenting always equals godly uh, children. uh, so So if you do your job right as a parent and, you know, you create this godly environment at home, but you have a child who drifts from God well, then, you know, you didn't do it right. You did something uh, uh, wrong. Uh, you, you, you failed. There, there's even a verse that goes, people use along uh, with this myth. It goes like this. Uh, train a child in the way he should go, and uh, when he's old, he will not uh, turn from it. This verse actually causes pain and guilt for many people, especially if you're an empty nester, And you did everything that you could to raise your child to follow Jesus, and they're not. And you're wondering, you know, what what did I do wrong? Well, let me explain a couple things. First, this verse gives hope, not promise. This verse is in the book of Proverbs, not the book of promises. Uh, Proverbs gives wisdom principles for how life generally works but not promises for how life always works. Uh, For example, if you read uh, Genesis chapter 3 about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they lived in a perfect, godly environment. Yeah, and at at that point, they had no uh, uh, sin nature. They were were perfect children. They had never done anything wrong. And, of course, they had the perfect parent, God the Father. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God, which shows you can do everything right. You can be the best possible godly parent. You know, you bring your kids to church. You read them Bible stories. And you can still have a child who chooses to take a different uh, path. And if you're in this situation, I want to encourage you, don't give up on your child. I want you to notice something about this verse. It says, when your child is old. And so be patient. Keep praying. Maybe when your child is, is older, maybe in time your child will choose uh, to follow Jesus. But we need to, we need to stop believing this myth that godly parenting always uh, leads to godly uh, children. It's, it's untrue, and it puts too much pressure on parents. It leads to pride or guilt. When things go well, you know, we take too much credit. And then when they don't, we take too much blame. And I think about those of you with younger children and the pressure that you must feel and uh, you know, the comparisons that take place in our uh, culture, um, especially when we've got kids like Ryan's World uh, here. Have you ever heard about Ryan's World? Yeah. He, uh, he's he's, he's uh, 10 years old, and he's got uh, a YouTube channel with uh, 28 million subscribers. He reviews toys, and he has a net worth of $30 million, and, and, and he's 10 years old. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love if your 10-year-old 10 10 made millions, 10 millions of $30 million? Wouldn't that be great? And it's so easy to compare, isn't it? And uh, compare our children and feel even more pressure. I think about the cultural expectations for children uh, that we raise, raise today. I mean, we feel like we've got to raise children that are happy all the time. 
And, you know, just always in a good mood. You know, all the time we feel like we have to take pictures of them to show that, you know, they're in a good mood. But you and I both know that's not always true. And we want kids that are uh, cute because they're a reflection of, of us. We want kids that are, that are smart. And so we start comparing grades and GPAs. And we want them to be uh, talented and, and play the piano and three sports. We're preparing them for the, uh, the NBA, the MLB, the NFL, and the Olympics. And not just sports, uh, extracurricular activities. We want them to be successful in that. And most important, we want them to be Christian and not just, not just go to church, not just go to, uh, you know, student ministry, but we want, you know, we expect like missionary level commitment um, kids. But, but here's a question I want to ask you today. What do you do when you're not that list? What do you do when as a parent you have failed to raise a kid that fulfills those expectations? You know, I wonder if taking some pressure off ourselves as parents would help us have better relationships uh, with our kids and make us better um, parents. Here's what I want to do today. I want to humbly submit to you uh, what, what, I, what I believed about parenting and, and raising kids before we had kids. And what Marnie and I have learned at this point in our uh, journey, in, in other words, these are some things I wish I had known sooner, and maybe these will be helpful in some way uh, to you. I used to believe that parents should take full responsibility for their children's upbringing. Marnie and I have learned parents should partner with God and the local church for their children's upbringing. What, what, what I want you to hear today from church is that you're not alone. Don't try to do this alone. You really need a community. I love what this proverb says, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. And that's why I love gathering together with God's people. You know, when we try to live life alone, when we parent in a silo, you might think, you know, you're the only one. You might think, you know, man, our problems are unique. At times you might think your kids are crazy, but then you spend time in community with other people and you realize that's normal. Take a look at what the Hebrew writer says about the importance of gathering together in a community like, like we're, we're doing. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Over the last couple of years, I mean, I think probably all of us have started some new habits and made changes to our schedule because of COVID and the pandemic. And so I want us to think about our habits and our schedules for a moment and ask ourselves, what, what are we making time for? And have we created some new habits that have put church on the back burner, but we've made space for things that aren't actually conducive for helping our, our souls? Things like uh, you know, volleyball, football, uh, basketball, uh, soccer. And if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we run the risk of becoming child-centered parents rather than God-centered uh, parents. We end up running around, you know, going, you know, you know what makes you happy? You know, what, what do you want to do? And all of a sudden we go from God-centered to child-centered. But the scripture encourages us to say, hey, we're going to put God first and as a family, we're going to engage in church together, and, and then we'll do those other things. 
after we put God first. I want to talk to the students. Uh, Those of you that are uh, students, I want to talk to you just uh, for a moment. Students, if your parents encourage you to engage in church, uh, your parents aren't just trying to be religious. They're not just trying to be Christian. What they're doing is they're trying to be intentional, and they're trying to give you a center that adds value to your life because you don't want your life to be sports-centered or social media-centered or entertainment-centered. You need an anchor for your soul. There will come days where you face a breakup, where you face getting fired from a job. And in that moment, I mean, you need an anchor for your soul. You need a center. I I don't think sports, social media, entertainment are bad things. They just, they're not anchors. They're not good centers for your your life. And so when your parents are encouraging you to engage in church, they're intentionally trying to help you develop a center. Here's a question I want you to reflect on uh, this week, maybe in your small group, maybe around the meal table or on the ride home uh, after church. Uh, reflect on this. How can I put God first in our schedule? How can I put God first in our schedule? I want you to hear from a family in our church that puts God first. Take a look. Hi, I'm Russ Nicolai. I'm Emily Nicolai. I work in the audio booth with the arts team. Uh, I also play bass. I uh, primarily do film presenter. I'm Mike McCloy. I'm Angela McCloy. Um, I've been serving here since the beginning of River Glen. Um, I played, uh, I've been playing drums um, on, uh, during weekend services. Uh, I play for um, Unite and Edge sometimes, play whenever I can. We came from a smaller church of um, 100 people, maybe 150 on a really good Sunday. My parents were, my dad was an elder in this church and they were very active in the church. My parents have always had, um, you know, a heart of service. Um, They've always instilled in in me and and my brother. I remember when I started, you know, buying drum equipment, my mom would say, I really hope there's some way you could uh, try to find uh, a way to use this to serve at church. We were in smaller congregations at first, and people had to just step up and do. So it was just a, an easy thing for us to do because we enjoyed doing it in the first place. And in the second place, it was something that uh, we felt needed to be done. And they, without any uh, uh, really coaching from us, uh, stepped right up uh, next to us and, and did uh, everything they could and to, to be a part of it. I know it doesn't always work that way for a family, but if you just keep at it, you know, just make make it make your kids aware that this is part of your family. This is just what you do. And I think you if you show love and you, around here, that's what we do. Everybody around here, the kids all pick up on that and they see that love and that just carries right on through, I think. Hi, my name is Liam Nicoy. Hi, my name is Shaden. I'm on the part of the welcome team. I I greet um, I greet people I don't know, and I also make them feel welcome. We wanted to serve together. It was very important for us. And then when we had kids, 
we didn't know any better <laughs> than to be here. Um, it was a natural progression for our kids to start serving as well. They don't know anything other than being here. This is where their family is. I think it affects our family on the level of, you know, it's what we did together, at least at first. Our kids are involved in, um, Abby's involved in the band, and our oldest, Charlie, is in the tech team. And um, our youngest, Max, is serving with Grandma and Grandpa, greeting at the doors. We always, you know, wanted to pass along that kind of heart of service that I mentioned before, and show them that serving is a good thing, and show them that, um, you know, giving a little back to the church that, you know, um, has been good to you, um, you know, by serving the church and serving Jesus. It's really fun, you know, for my brother and I to serve together in the band, and now, um, you know, I'm serving with his daughter, Abby, uh, you know, playing bass. It's a family affair, you know. I think we're looking at this next generation of, of family that we have to continue that, you know, to serve together. The church is as good as the next generation, and the generation, the next generation is here. Yeah, let's give the Nicholas a hand. Man, they're... Their family, they really engage in church. They put God first, and they're making an impact for Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about serving opportunities, we've got lots of volunteer serving opportunities. Stop at the Connect Wall, the Welcome Center. There's a ta couple tables out there with uh, balloons, and they'll tell you more about that. It really helps families partner with God and the local church in the upbringing of their uh, children. Here's the second thing I thought BC before children was that uh, parents should get their kids to obey them, and, and that's true. But on a deeper level, uh, we're, we're learning that parents should inspire their, their kids to obey God. I, I've learned that if we can get our kids to obey, obey God, they'll honor us. As a parent, it's easy to get wrapped up in making rules you know, for our kids. And then getting frustrated and saying, you know, why won't you do things my way? And we can get wrapped up in our way. And, you know, sure, as, as parents, you know, we, we, we need discipline in, in the home. And uh, we should have some authority in, in our child's life. But I also hope there's something inside of us that wants to inspire our kids to grow in the ways of, of God. We looked at this verse earlier and how people misunderstand it, but it actually makes a really good point about this. It says, train a child in the way he should go. This word train in the original language, the Hebrew language, it's the word chanuk, which means palate of the mouth. In the Old Testament, a midwife would take some food to initiate hunger and rub it, rub the food on the palate of a newborn baby to initiate, to inspire hunger. And that's what we're called to do as parents. We're just trying to initiate a hunger for God's word and God's way. We're not training up a child in our way. We're training up a child in the way, in God's way. Sometimes we can get into a battle with kids. You know, it's our will versus their will. And we forget to insert God's will. That's why I'm such a supporter of getting involved 
getting engaged with church. Church is a great place, I mean, for kids and students to learn what God has called them to do. It's a great place. Church is a great place for kids to uh, discover their gifts and practice leadership. It's a great place to learn how to make a difference in the uh, world from the best gifts that you can give to your kids. But sometimes it's difficult as parents to take our will off our kids so that they can do God's will. I remember uh, a few years ago when our youngest son, Ryan, was a senior in high school trying to decide what college to go to. He uh, wanted to go to this school in the Chicago area. We took a couple trips down there. We toured it. Everything looked great. That's where Ryan was going to go to college. But then somebody said to him, you know, you really should look at more than one school and and compare. And uh, so Ryan decided that he also wanted to look at the school in Minnesota, in the uh, Twin Cities. He didn't really want to go away, that, that far away uh, to school, but he, but, he, but he agreed it's probably a good idea uh, to look at more than one uh, school. But as a parent, there was like internal me and external me. And internal me was like, Ryan, you don't want to go all the way to Minnesota. You know, they get like 100 feet of snow up there, you know. You don't want to go, you don't want to go north. You don't want to go that far away. But external me said, Ryan, you know, I think that makes good sense to look at a second college. So we took a trip to uh, Minnesota to visit uh, Bethel uh, University. Internal me is just rooting against it, you know, the whole trip. But we got there, we, we took a tour, and, you know, everything looked great. And they were so welcoming, and they had everything Ryan wanted and more. One of the coaches, the cross-country coach, Met Ryan for lunch and really showed interest in him. On the drive home, internal me was like the school in Chicago is closer and a little cheaper. But external me said, Ryan, if you want to go to school in Minnesota, if you want to go to Bethel, I think that would be a good choice. And that's what he did. And he had a great experience. But here's what I wish I had learned sooner. Sometimes as a parent, we need to take our will off our kids to support God, to, to, so, so that we can support God's will in their life <clears throat> so that they can grow and obey God and honor us. Here's a question I want you to reflect on this week. How much of my parenting is centered around my will versus God's will? That's a tough one because that involves letting go. All right, here's the, here's the uh, uh, last thing I used to believe that parenting was all about uh, before children, and that is that parents should get their kids to take their advice, but uh, I'm learning that parents should model uh, their own advice. What kids really need today are not critics. they got plenty of those. What they really need are models. It's kind of like eating food. You know, it's one thing to tell our kids, eat your vegetables, eat healthy, <clears throat> but if they don't see us eating healthy and eating our vegetables, it's going to be difficult. And I'm telling you, kids are watching us, adults, like a hawk. And what kids see modeled uh, by parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and coaches and teachers and volunteers has a much greater impact on them than what gets said to them. David Horsehager is a, a New York Times bestselling uh, author. And he travels the country speaking on leadership and uh, character. He's very successful. His clients include uh, Verizon, 
Toyota, FedEx, New York Yankees. David is a Christian and a husband and a father of four kids. In his book, The Trust Edge, he, he tells about <clears throat> a time when he was just a little boy, 10 years old, growing up in Minnesota on a, on a farm where, where, where they lived. His dad just hated to see litter on the dirt roads. They were heading home in, the, in their pickup truck when they saw some litter on the dirt road. His dad stopped, and David knew uh, to step out of the truck, pick up the trash, and then drive away. But it was a Playboy magazine that his dad quickly kicked underneath the seat. David had heard his dad talk about how pornography degrades women and can ruin relationships. And David writes these words. He says, my dad said nothing about the magazine that day. But later I was in the house and my dad was out uh, by our shop working on his tractor. <clears throat> he says, for whatever reason, I just stopped and watched from our window. My dad had no idea that I was watching. He thought he was completely out of sight all alone. David says, I watched my dad finish with the tractor, and then he walked over to the truck. And David said, I watched my dad open the truck door, reach for that magazine, and without looking at it, walked it over to the shop stove and threw it into the fire. David said, that moment 40 years ago marked me for the rest of my life. I'm so grateful for the example that my dad taught me at 10 years of age. He says, it might seem like a little thing throwing some trash in the fire, but to me, it was an enormous statement about dad's character. And that relationship with his father influenced and helped uh, David uh, become successful for good or bad. Um, the example of parents and adults makes a huge impression on children. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, I didn't grow up uh, with a father like David Horsehager's uh, <clears throat> father. I didn't have a great mom or a great uh, dad. Maybe you didn't have uh, a good picture, a good example. But here's my encouragement. Start something new right now. It's not too late. I fully believe there's no situation, no family situation that God can't turn around. It's not too late. With God's help, I mean, you can set a great example <clears throat> and bless the next generation. I heard about a study that uh, discovered what happens when parents give up and stop uh, raising children. Look, look, at what, look at what the article said. When we stop raising them, they start raising each other. They turn to their friends and boys get more aggressive. Girls get more obsessed with uh, how they look and comparing their looks to their peers. And, and friends are good. We need friends. But students, your friends are not qualified to be guides. They're qualified to be friends, not guides. That's why God put adults into your life who say, I want to guide you. But uh, adults, for that to happen, we've got to model our own advice. We can't expect kids to be super Christians and then, you know, we go to church once every six weeks. Or we turn it on as background noise. We can't expect our kids to love scripture. And then, you know, we take it out once every three months and whew, uh, dust, it, dust it off. No, we have to be as engaged as we want them to be engaged in the things of God. And we've got all kinds of resources uh, to help you. Stop at the Connect Wall. We've got uh, Bible reading plans. We've got classes. 
Uh, we've got uh, groups that can help you grow and set a great example and bless the next generation. Here's a question I want you to think about today. What needs to be modeled in your home? What needs to be modeled in your home? So that we aim kids like arrows and we prepare them and send them out to pierce the, the, the darkness and make a difference in this world. God believes in the next generation. God sees them as difference makers and world changers. And he wants all of us to rally around them. I asked our team to come and, and, and sing a song for us called The, the Blessing. It's a scriptural uh, declaration over you. They're gonna sing this uh, over you, uh, over your kids, your grandchildren, their children, and all the future generations. And I realize maybe some of us have never had positive words spoke over our uh, family, a, a blessing, a, a spiritual blessing, but that's what we're gonna do. And I believe that today could be the start of something brand new uh, for you, your children, your family, and all of us. And so I'm gonna pray for us, and then they're gonna share this uh, blessing over, over all of us. God, I, I, I pray in these next few moments that each and every parent, each and every child, each and every person would feel your presence in their lives. God, I pray this week that we would reflect on how our schedules can put you first. I pray that we wouldn't get caught up in our way and our will, but that our homes would be truly God-centered. I pray that as we try to navigate the tensions of raising children and equipping students for life, that you would give us grace, that we wouldn't feel a ton of cultural pressure, and that we would submit to whatever it is that you want for us and our children. God, we believe in the next generation, and we rally around them. We pray this in Jesus' name.